Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK, brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with two guests who are a married couple, Ferry Al Zaruki, Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at De Beers Group, and Mahi R. Borhanju, CEO of Uni Diamonds. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from Los Angeles, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from New York City. I'm about to go to a Seder, so uh, that's always exciting. Happy Passover, yeah, I love that. I love that this is, uh, well, it's always bodes well. Spring is here. Things are things yes. are starting to up. It's sunny here in LA. It's always sunny, right? It's not always sunny in LA. We've been under a deluge for, for months. Um, it's been a really rainy, very atmospheric, what do they call them? The atmospheric rivers have descended on this state for, for months. So finally the sun is out and I think we don't have a rain in the forecast for, for the foreseeable future. I'll save this for our next podcast, but I just want to hint at it that I spent a week or just about a week in Geneva for Watches and Wonders. Last week I returned and tons of good news, a lot of very good vibe. Super busy. There was a record number of visitors. So I will report back on what I found there. But in the meantime, I want to introduce our guests. And it's really, it, if you notice the plural on the end of that, we don't often have two people on together. And we have had a couple on before. So this is, I believe, yes. our second couple. It's I really so. yes. very, very exciting. I don't know how many people are familiar with your names, partly because you're based in London, but you're certainly familiar with the work both of you do. It's Mahiar Borhanju, who is the CEO of Uni Diamonds, and his wife, Fariel Zaruki, who is Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs at the De Beers Group, also incoming president of the World Diamond Council. We've got two diamond industry bigwigs. Welcome. It's so, so nice to have you. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here and, and uh, nice to be speaking to you both. Yeah, really excited to be here and uh, participate in this interview. I'm, I'm also uh, um, questioning who's the first couple? Who's the first couple? <laughs> it was Haley Henning and um, ah. Eric Jens. Yeah. They were in the studio too. Hopefully we can live up to their expectations. Right. <laughs> I take it you're at home in London? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. All right. Well, so from Mahiar, from your voice, I think we're all, it's pretty clear you're not from the UK originally. You quite, you actually sound like a Californian. We talked about this a little bit before taping. Um, maybe that's a good entree for us to hear about your background. And then, of course, we'll hear about Fariel's. But tell us a little bit about your own background and how you got into the business. Well, I, I uh, born in Iran, grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah and moved to California to go to school. After school, went into business management and consulting, helped actually take a company from uh, a startup to a publicly traded company focused on technology and financial services. And from there, had the opportunity, an incredible opportunity to move into the diamond industry and uh, took it like there's no tomorrow and, and moved to London and uh, and the rest is history. I mean, you came from a very different background. You work for a bunch of companies. Was it a very different atmosphere when you came into the diamond industry and De Beers? Very much so. So, I mean, if I look at the industry itself, I, I was used to contracts and letters of intents and, and things that were very detailed and structured and walked into an industry where the word Mazal was your bond. That's it. You know, that you didn't need any contracts or any documentations or anything. 
was just you saying Mazal that made things happen. So, you know, the family type of orientation of this industry, the trust that people have within the industry, the passion they have for the product, and also the care that they have for the people that they work with. For me, it was eye-opening and a, a breath of fresh air to come into an industry with such passion and such devotion around the product that uh, we all love and adore, which are diamonds. After De Beers, you went to Venus Jewel, and now you're at Uni Diamonds, correct? Correct, correct. So uh, Uni is a really a, a data company focused on the diamond industry, and, and um, we basically have live and, and real-time data from the majority of the wholesalers and retailers, roughly about a million diamonds every single day, about $3.6 billion of daily inventory that we're analyzing. And then we took that data and information and decided that we're going to create a real-time platform so that retailers and wholesalers can use it to sell to their customers. And then we took the diamond intelligence and information and started creating various different products on data on diamonds market prices, average high and low, supply and demand, availability within the market. So really, uh, Uni, in, in a nutshell, is, is to help create transparency and, and provide the diamond story downstream to uh, to the consumers. And, and that's what I'm really proud of, of being able to create this in partnership with Malcolm Meat, who's been a, an absolute blessing and a great partner to have uh, to be able to make this vision come true. You know, I'd love to actually get Fariel's voice voice on here too. I'd love to hear about your background, Fariel, how you got into this industry and where you grew up. So absolutely. I mean, I have a very uh, different story to Mahia. Um, I'm originally Algerian. Both my parents are from a small village called Mdawrush. They moved to the UAE and I was born in uh, Abu Dhabi. Uh, and then they migrated to uh, the UK here in London and put me in a French school because it was the closest uh, school to where they were residing. From there, went into an English university, studied mathematics and business management and uh, started really working straight from uni in the financial industry as a financial analyst. Looked around also and got the opportunity with De Beers, back then it was called DTC, based on my financial background to join a company that you know I didn't even understand understand the scale of DTC or De Beers or anything at that point. I had no diamond background. It was an experiment so that I could see if I could bring some blue sky thinking into the uh, forecasting of diamonds. And I joined as a supply chain analyst using my math skills, looking at the mine plans and um, uh, working with the geologists on the ground to see if we can get that forecast uh, more accurate because, as you know, what's unique about De Beers is that we sell uh, to a select number of clients that we call site holders, but we tell them what they're going to get three years in advance. So that forecasting part was critically important. And since then, uh, I've moved around the business. You know, I've worked on the price book. I was uh, working on the three to six grain of prices uh, and started learning about diamonds and the industry throughout this journey. I've been there now for I would say eighteen years, maybe even nineteen. I'm, I'm stopping the the count. Um, but it's been a very interesting journey. Wow, that is. I think my first visit to Charterhouse Street was around 2003-ish or so. So it might have been just before you arrived. Yeah, yeah. And our offices now, when you uh, visit again, because we've just moved uh, back into the same office, is totally unrecognizable. Mm. It's very, very different. I bet. I just remember as walking around prior to my first meeting there, being terrified of going in. I don't know if you had those. <laughs> <laughs> 
imposing, imposing place. But it, of course, the, the meeting went well. I remember walking in, I was in my early, early 20s, um, you know, meeting the team for the first time. There was a very big contrast in age uh, and gender. I think I was the only woman. And the complexity of the business also took me by shock and surprise. Needless to say, I stood out like a sore thumb. But I think now I'm, you know, I'm part of the fabric and you'll see, you know, the diversity in the business, the the change in, in how we uh, operate is just incredible. You would not recognize it. Mm, I bet. Yeah, De Beers has done a great job of, of really embracing DEI and obviously bringing women a lot to the fore. So just to get a little personal, since you are obviously one of our only couples that has ever appeared. So did you meet at De Beers while you were, did you intersect in terms of your roles there? Or? <laughs> so yeah, I was in a, the executive managing the Rough Diamond sales globally for De Beers. And at that time, Ferriel was managing the best practice principles of De Beers, which, um, which basically validated our site holders are, are being governed and, and doing what they said they're supposed to be doing based on the, the countries that they're from. Uh, and we met at a, a meeting very short after I, I came in specifically on... on uh, we can't give the details. We, we can't give no, the details <laughs> on the meeting, but, but essentially but, we weren't on the same side. We were walking into a, <laughs> a meeting where we we're going to be, uh, where I was expecting us to be on opposing sides. Sales versus ethics. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And, and uh, the, the interesting part was, you know, she came so well prepared and so ready for any question that I would have. And I, I was completely taken away by not just her beauty and her charm, but also very much so by her intellect. And really, when we actually got to know that this is this is something that that we should you know pursue further, my team was in in India, and we were doing the uh, business review meetings with our site holders, our customers in in India, uh, and her team was there doing the uh, rotation on the BPPs. And I insisted that we should all have dinner together as a team. And after dinner, we went to the Intercontinental at the top. The dome. The dome, um, yeah. And it was a, a lovely place. You could see the, the necklace. If, if you've ever been to Mumbai and you see the lights that are um, below you, it looks like a, a really beautiful necklace. And we talked a lot about our, our goals and aspirations and values till I think about 6.30 in the morning. And then you had to go and catch a I flight. I had to catch a flight straight from there. And uh, the teams were there. And my team, who knew that I was usually extremely tough, saw the softness in me. And, and one of them said to me, you're behaving differently. Do you like him? And I said, yes, and I'm going to marry him. And they all laughed. And then there I was. I got on a flight, went back to London. And back then we had Blackberries. And as soon as I landed my phone exploded with messages from site holders and other um, uh, friends in uh, in Mumbai asking if I was okay. So that next day was the day that the uh, terrorist attacks happened. Oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and we were all staying at the Taj, and thank goodness we made it out on time. Everyone was safe and everyone was, was, was good, but... Uh, yeah, it was a it was a very challenging time. Wow. That was what that was what year? That was I think two thousand eight, right? Two thousand eight, yeah. Eight or nine. Two thousand nine. Exactly which year it was. One of those two years. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing I did was obviously try to reach out to him. He wasn't responding and uh, you know, I thought, finally I meet someone I like and this happens. I made it all about myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then we worked as a team very hard to get the sales team out uh, by engaging with uh, with government. And when he finally uh, got back into the UK, because it was Thanksgiving, wasn't yeah, it? So it was, that we couldn't get through to the American uh, embassy. He held an American uh, passport only at the time. So by the time he came back, you know, I was so eager to see him and I actually asked him out. And he said no. 
Oh my God, what? <laughs> well, to yeah. be fair, I, it kind of brought back some really, really difficult memories during the revolution of Iran and, and uh, what was happening there at, at the same time. So I, I, I needed to work through some of my uh, stuff that I had boxed up neatly in my brain and, and put away. And then uh, afterwards, after I was able to actually clear my brain and clear my thoughts, I went back and I um, sincerely and profusely apologized and asked her if she willing to go out with me but the interesting thing is before doing that I asked the executive team at De Beers if it's okay for me to ask and they were supportive because we were from different organizations and different groups within within the company uh, but thank goodness um, everything worked out positively and and we're here now 13 years married uh, have a, a beautiful baby girl and working hard to change the industry this podcast is brought to you by the De Beers Institute of Diamonds the De Beers Institute of Diamonds' mission is to grow and strengthen consumer confidence by providing integrity across the natural diamond industry, offering unrivaled diamond grading and testing exclusively for natural, untreated diamonds. They provide diamond tears with confidence in a report of each diamond's four C's. Every diamond graded at De Beers Institute of Diamonds is also given a unique inscription number, allowing the diamond details to be tracked and viewed on their website. Visit institute.debeers.com to learn more and register for their greeting services. So, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about business. Right now, uh, there's, I guess, the perception that the American market is, has slowed a bit. China, I think it's not 100% clear what's going on. Where do you see things right now from both your standpoints? Rob, you know, we talked about the data product that we have, and we've been kind of measuring how things have been going. You know, we did see a spike last year in end of Q1 of, of where prices went up drastically. And, and since then, the prices have been uh, coming down. But if you look at it from 2021 to 2023, we still see prices are, are slightly higher than 2021 levels in 2023, which is great. Uh, we're seeing much more price stability now within the market. So it means that the supply and demand aspects are, are starting to fall in line and, and fall into place. Supply is, is, is decreasing to some extent. Demand has, has started picking up in, in a lot of the areas of goods. So I'm quite pleased of, of where we are this year at this point, because, you know, if you were to ask me this question about three months ago, I, I, I probably would have had a different answer. But uh, thank goodness we're starting to see much more stability, which is what the market needs today. There's a couple big issues right now, but one of them is uh, Russian uh, sanctions. How does De Beers view that? So, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there on, on, on what's going on with the sanctions. As soon after the war, there was actually an executive order that was issued that prohibits imports um, of Russian diamonds into the US. And, and that's where the origin conversation on substantial transformation started, where origin would potentially, well, would mean where the rough diamond would be cut and polished. And that caused so much confusion that had like an impact on so many different issues with regards to, you know, what should the industry do and what does this mean? Clarity actually came when, I think it was in February, the government actually issued uh, sanctions against uh, Alrosa. And those are financial sanctions, meaning you can't do business uh, with Alrosa if you're an American um, entity, uh, if you're using dollars, or even if you're an, an American entity outside uh, of the US, or an Amer American person outside of the US. And that's 
very different to the executive order. There's no sort of substantial transformation here. This is, you know, you follow the money. The UK also followed through about, I can't remember if it was one week or two weeks later. So it's also in the UK. But at the anniversary of the war, the the G7 issued a statement basically saying that they're going to add additional requirements on all natural diamonds coming into the G7 countries. Now, This means all natural diamonds. And these requirements are going to be here to stay. They're going to be at customs. So it's going to impact everybody. And we need to make sure that we uh, understand the objective of the G7 countries, as well as ensure that, you know, whatever is developed, whatever statement um, uh, or announcement they're going to be making at the summit, the G7 summit, doesn't negatively impact the the trade in natural diamonds in our diamonds and and, in the industry in the US and the other uh, G7 countries. So that's going to be critically important. Most people think it's additional sanctions, uh, but it's actually requirements at customs level on all natural diamonds entering the G7 countries. Now, what do I think? Uh, I think it's important that whatever uh, these requirements are support the objective of the G7 countries, but don't have a negative impact on natural diamonds. Don't make it too cumbersome for natural diamonds to enter uh, the US. And um, I also believe in journeys of continuous improvement. The industry is an industry that aggregates not just at producer level, but also midstream and downstream in order to deliver on the commercial requests for jewellery. Uh, so we need to find a mechanism that doesn't leave anyone behind, uh, whether it be uh, the secondary market in India, whether it be artisanal miners, whether it be the independents in the US, to ensure that you know we are supporting the objective of the G7 countries without negatively impacting the trade, the legitimate trade. Uh, one of the things I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard this too, is that people will have to make some kind of declaration at customs that their diamonds aren't from Russia. I guess the big question is what qualities and size diamonds will be affected and what kind of declaration would they be looking for? Yeah, that's the biggest question of all. I think, you know, the answer is different depending on whether you're speaking about the formal sector or the informal sector. But given uh, customer requirements, from my understanding, don't differentiate between sectors. They, they, they focus on the product. We need to make sure that um, we're engaging on this topic and I really am very proud and very thankful and grateful frankly for the uh, US government Ambassador O'Brien and his team to have gone on a fact-finding mission to engage with industry to understand the supply chain so that they also develop like the best type of solution that won't leave anyone behind. I worry about declarations if the industry isn't ready because we've always as an industry sorted diamonds based on the four C's never based on provenance and this issue of provenance is quite new so the industry starting on this journey the formal sector is actually quite advanced the informal sector hasn't started and given this is going to be a product a specific uh, requirement we need to bring everyone along this journey with us and so declarations need to be substantiated but how do we do this in a way that um, that works for everybody and so the cutoff point on size becomes critical here And not just that, when is the implementation period? That's going to be critically important because I know that no matter what, the business is going to have to take a leading role in supporting uh, whichever solution to bring together uh, industry uh, as one in partnership with other players, of course. I know that De Beers has been working on traceability solutions, in particular Tracer, and we just got a press release this morning, I believe, that GIA is joining up with Tracer. Yeah, that's very exciting news, and we're very, very happy that GIA is joining us. Tracer, 
was launched in 2018. We uh, launched it with this vision of providing provenance at scale and developing a solution for industry by industry. And we've been accelerating our efforts on that. We always knew provenance was going to be a very important point for natural diamonds and frankly for any product uh, that's going to be sold into um, a consumer market. Future consumers care about product that represents their values and that value is going to be determined by the values that that product represents. But how do you know what your product stands for if you don't know where it comes from, right? And so we knew back then that we had to start this journey. We understand the importance of aggregation. So we looked at, uh, out at the digital landscape to see, you know, how could we support the practice of aggregation while still providing or developing a solution that won't paralyze the industry uh, because we, by aggregation, everybody creates value and we deliver that provenance information to the consumer so that we can correctly represent the values of that product when selling it into the consumer. And when we came up with that, you know, most people were pushing back saying, why do you need this? Why do we need this? Why are you doing this? You know, no consumer is asking us. And that that's true, but they're not asking now. They're going to be asking in the future. That's what we truly believe in. And so we've accelerated our efforts. Um, I think the proof's in the pudding. Tracer is the only solution out there that can provide provenance at source at scale. Uh, it's the only one that's on a fully distributed ledger. And we're very happy that GIA is joining Tracer um, to help us in this mission so that we can work together to provide that provenance information to consumers and protect consumer confidence in natural violence. You know, listening to both of you speak, I'm just struck by how much change you've both seen in this industry. I mean, and how, how much drama, I mean, from the terrorist bombings in Mumbai, you mentioned, to just this great evolution in terms of thinking about sustainability and provenance and things. Is there a moment, either of you, either a milestone or a development that really sticks out in for either of you as a key change or something that really pointed the way to the future in terms of this industry, either, either a personal encounter or a development in the news i'd just be curious to hear yeah i think we've, we've experienced so many wonderful moments and terrifying moments in, uh, in this industry but one that really sticks with me and makes me proud is the day that we launched gemfair i don't know if you know much about gemfair but gemfair is an initiative that the beers launched where we would work with artisanal miners raise the standards of the artisanal mine sites but also develop a route to market for their product that is fair and uh, use digital uh, solutions so that they could be connected to the future vision of the world that we see uh, through Tracer. Uh, seeing what it's done, it, it's phenomenal. Being able to see diamonds on you know, a platform like ours from Sierra Leone and being able to talk about things like uh, uh, what diamonds do, what positive impact diamonds have in, in various countries that they're in uh, has been a great story to be able to talk to consumers about and give them that opportunity to fully appreciate how wonderful natural diamonds are in, in the countries that they come from. And, you know, if I look at, like, for example, my proudest moment probably related to, to Fairyells because I, I think Jamfair was a phenomenal project that, that the beers took on. You know, being able to create uni diamonds and develop something where transparency and this kind of information transfer to the retailers and, and manufacturers and wholesalers came about was probably one of my proudest moments. I, if, if I look at, it's it's about four years now in, in the making, the organization, and it really, really has helped bring information, transparency into the industry, and I'm, I'm really quite proud of that. 
when we all get together in Vegas at JCK this year, so will Gem Fair Diamonds, will that be something I can easily find or see? No, we don't We don't usually have diamonds at JCK, it's the beers. We don't showcase um, diamonds, but we have sold them. I shy away from talking about the commercials only because, you know, we are going into an environment a competitive environment and I, I want to make sure that the team is protected you know we don't want to raise too much awareness but what the way that it works is we've developed tech that registers the provenance of a diamond at source and it works off the grid it works in these difficult conditions we co-developed it actually with the artisanal miners uh, so that it would work for both parties and then with that information the miners can come and sell to us once they meet what we call the gem fair uh, standard so it's artisanal mining standards that we develop that address the risks that we see on the ground. And we've made those publicly available so that anyone could um, use them if they want to engage with the artisanal mining sector. And then if they, they when they bring the diamonds to us, we clean them. We use each opportunity that the team has to buy to educate. So we've got the only siren machine there. We show them the published outcome and we tell them this is a value. They have the decision, the right to uh, refuse the offer, but at least they then understand the value that they should be expecting if they go elsewhere. In addition to that, you know, we never left during COVID. So when we walked into the mining communities, you know, they thought, here you go again, a new group thinking that they're going to come here to help us. So that trust wasn't there because many have tried before us and have left. And those that have tried before us have never actually had operations on the ground and stayed and, you know, joined the community and became part of the community. So COVID was a big, big test to see if we were going to leave. We actually repurposed our business in uh, Sierra Leone uh, and focused on supporting uh, the community. The price of food, the price of rice went up by 400%. We ensured that our mining communities had access to food, had access to healthcare. And then as the world started to recover from COVID, we started building that trust. And we understood that food security became a is a critical issue for the mining areas. And we found a solution with them where we would rehabilitate the old mines and transform them into farming grounds. And we have now actually rehabilitated 126 mines since COVID. And the women of the community manage the farming of it. We've got everything from rice to okra to tomatoes. It's, it's fantastic. And the overflow product is what they use to sell into the market. So it's caused new uh, livelihood solutions for the mining communities, helped us build trust now the communities know that we're here to stay and um, the volume of uh, diamonds coming our way because of that trust has increased. You know, we're, we're still defining how best to sell because our focus is supporting the artisanal mining sector. We've sold through the Bears auction sales. Uh, 90% of the Gemfair diamonds are on uh, Tracer by value. We've sold to uh, a few people, uh, but some aren't going to take that or have taken that story to consumers and it's selling through. We're still trying to find the best model for Genfair, uh, but our main focus really has been to address this trust issue, grow the volumes, because as I said, we're not an NGO. We're not here to be philanthropic. We're not here to provide aid. We're here to provide a sustainable solution for the artisanal mining sector so that everybody could do good by doing well. And if you want to try on a diamond from uh, Sierra Leone or anywhere else, Botswana, Namibia, Canada, South Africa, come to my booth and you can virtually try it on. Got it. I, I will take you up on that. So you both will be in Vegas with your daughter, correct? So that sounds yeah. like a great family trip. North's first trip to JCK was when she was two weeks old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Amazing. Was she traumatized or okay? Well, I was. We ended up in hospital. But, uh, yeah. No, she knows it very well. We'll see uh, you then. Fantastic. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing you. Thank you both so much for your time. It's it's getting late there in London. So hope you have a, a lovely evening. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you both. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. Any views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the opinion of JCK, its management, or its advertisers. Thanks for listening. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.